Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Masokata la brosente libra kehalabonshanda libro kodi halabos. Father, we give you praise. Father, we thank you. Father, we honor you. Father, we bless you because you're faithful, wonderful, and kind. Thank you that the entrance of your word gives light and understanding to the symbol. Lord, therefore, this morning, our mind is humbled. Father, to hear your word. May we hear the truth that sets free. The Bible says, the entrance of your word gives light and understanding to the simple. Lord, I receive understanding, I receive light, and the same thing I pray for your people this morning, that we will receive light and understanding of the truth of your word, that someone is going to live here this morning being set free from wrong thinking, wrong thought process, and all of the lies and deception of the enemy. Thank you so much, Almighty God. In Jesus' name, we pray. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, today, I want to bring you a message that I've titled, The Anatomy of a Curse. The Anatomy of a Curse. Now, remember that we have been covering uh, the, a series on the good fight. The good fight of faith. And largely, we have used texts from First Samuel chapter 17, where we looked at how David overcame Goliath. The story goes such that Goliath came to um, taunt or to deride the soldiers of God. And because he had the prowess, the power, the might, and the physical but David, David was a lanky boy. He had nothing. He only had his trust in the Lord. And then he used a common stone to kill, to kill Goliath. And that story has been told in diverse ways, in different ways. But God has been teaching us profound lessons on how when you face a Goliath in your life, something that is so big, so ma- so, um, ma- so, so uh, big in your life, how you can use uh, the weapon of faith that David used to overcome. Now, so uh, a Goliath moment might be something that looks so big, something that is uh, enormous, something that you have no physical power to overcome. It's beyond the remit of what you can do by yourself. That would be what we call uh, a Goliath um, uh, situation. So today I want to look at how um, you are going. You can overcome what we call a curse. And I want to answer a number of questions. Number one, can a believer be under a curse? Number two, can a believer experience what looks like a curse? Number three, um, what is this whole thing about generational curse? You know, so those are the three things I would like to address today as I speak about the anatomy of a curse. Now, if you go with me to the book of First Samuel chapter 17 again, when the Bible says that Goliath was cursing David by the name of his God, first uh, Samuel chapter 17 verse 43 the Bible says and he said to David that is Goliath said to David am I a dog that you come at me with sticks and the Philistine that is Goliath cursed David by his gods come here he said and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals so we see here that Goliath was trying to place a curse, not even trying, was cursing David, actually, 
by the name of his God. Now, if you have been following this message, I said that in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 20, the Bible already describes to us that a God, a small God, a small G, a, G, a God, uh, like these gods, this idol that are called gods, uh, uh, are nothing but lies. They're called lying vanities. The Bible says those who, in the book of Jonah, of Jonah, the Bible says, those who observe lying vanities forsake the message of God. Those who observe lying vanities forsake the message of God, which means when you pay attention to lying vanities, when you allow lying vanities to be the predominant thought process of your life, when all you do is premised upon these lying vanities, what will happen is that you yourself, you do what? You forsake the message of God. The message of God never leaves you, but you are the one who walks away from it. So when we observe lying vanities, when we make an idol or things that are not Gods, we made them God in our lives by yielding to them, by yielding to the thought process that they present. You know, we forsake the mercy of God. All right. So today, what I want to look at is when the Bible here says the Philistine cursed David by his God. What does that even mean? How does that lead lend itself to the anatomy of a curse? Because when you understand how a curse operates, you can then answer the question: Does the Philistine here? Does he have the right to even cause David? Does he have the authority to even cause David? Does he have what it takes to cause David? Because the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 26 verse 2, the Bible says, like the sparrow in our wandering, like the swallow in our flying. So the curse without cause does not come and a light on the undeserving, which means in, in essence, he's saying the same way when you see birds flying and the sparrow flying, and you don't know where they are going to land, you can't really determine where they are going to land. So it is with a curse that somebody sends a curse on somebody else without a cause for it. The person has not deserved it, the person did not do anything to deserve the curse, and you place a curse on that person, that curse will never alight. That's what the Bible says. That cause will never lie because the person has not done anything about it and uh, anything to deserve that cause. And that's why when you start talking about generational cause, you ask the question, if the father did something wrong, how in God's name can the child then be, um, be liable for the offense of the father? The child has never done anything wrong. It has never done anything to warrant the cause. But you say, oh, this person is suffering from generational cause. The Bible says a curse cause that shall not stand. A person who has not deserved um, a curse to operate in their lives will never have the cause to operate in their lives. But I'm going to explain to you how God himself has done away with this thought or this conversation about generational curse. I'll show you in a moment if you just stick with me. So a curse costless shall not stand. So Goliath came against David and was cursing him. And the cause he was cursing was cursing by the name of his gods. And we know that his God is a lie because Isaiah chapter 44 verse 20 tells us that an idol is a lie. So when we talk about the anatomy of a cause, we're talking about how does a cause operate? Can a believer be cursed? Can a believer experience what looks like a curse? Is it okay to believe in generational cause? So to answer this question, we want to go deep into the Bible and look at when the word curse was first mentioned in the bible the word cursed not cursed the word cursed cursed means something that is accursed something that has a curse operating uh, on, on it or on him or on her is what the word curse means the word curse was first used by god himself in the bible 
God was the one that pronounced the, the words cursed for the first time in the Bible. And we need to look at the premise upon which God used that word. What, who did God use that word against? What is the implication of the words, of the word cursed that God used against the person that God used it against? So in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, the Bible says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, what is this that the devil has done? The devil, in previous verses of Genesis chapter 3, came into the garden to deceive the woman, to deceive Eve, and told Eve that God did not mean what he said. That God said to them, they should not touch, or they should not eat from the tree that bears the tree of knowledge. They should not eat from the, they should not eat fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The devil came in and said, they should not worry about it. They can definitely eat it because God knows that the day that they eat of this, um, this fruit from this tree, they are going to be like God. So the devil deceived them and then they went ahead. And ate out of, the, out of the tree, and God showed up and said to them, You know, God shows up to come and meet with them regularly as you normally will come. Now, at this time, at this point in time, they were afraid. The Bible says they were afraid and they were hiding from God. God said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you eaten of the tree that says you not eat? Because God knew that when they eat of that tree, they, that intimacy that they, they had with Him was going to be severed. All right. And God, God said, Did you eat of the tree that says you not eat? Adam said to God, it was the woman that you gave me. It was the woman that you gave me that took out of it and gave it to me. And I hated God. Met the woman. Why did you do? Why did you do this? The woman said it was the devil that beguiled me, that deceived me, and I hated it. Right? Then God then placed this judgment upon the devil. Now the devil took on the the devil. I want to say something clearly before I start talking about this. Uh, talking about this in detail is that the devil was creating an angel. And the the angels of God cannot take on, uh, they have no authority on the earth except um, they cannot operate like a human will operate on the earth because the, the earth was given to man. God gave the earth to, to humans, right? So in order for the devil to be able to come into the earth to deceive the woman, he had to have a body to use. So... Apparently, the serpent, the snake, was the body that he was able to come into, all right? And that's why he began to talk to the woman. Now, he appeared from the, this cause that God placed on, on the devil or on the serpent here was that he appears that the serpent used to be um, uh, something that walks or something that flies. I don't know. The Bible didn't really talk about it in detail, but the Bible basically says that when you look at this cause that God gave to uh, place on this, that the devil, you can infer that the serpent was not a crawling serpent the way we know it today. Because the Bible here says, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than any animal of the field. On your belly you shall go and thus you shall eat all the days of your life. So essentially God says that the, the serpent will now become a crawling serpent instead of whatever form it, it, it was before. Now, but because remember, the serpent here is a type. Essentially, the devil came into the serpent and and or the snake and was talking to the woman to deceive the woman. And God placed a curse why on the devil for doing that. So we see here 
that the, the serpent changed form from whether it was a walking serpent before into a crawling serpent now that is now eating the dust of the ground. So there was a debasement in identity or in authority or in, 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 in influence, by the way, of, for the anima, right? Because it has received, has become a vehicle through which deception came. And that is profound because it also shows us that if there's anything that is speaking in your life, if there's anyone that is speaking into your life that is causing you to be deceived or that's causing you to be shortchanged, that person is opening up themselves to uh, apology, opening up themselves to what the the curse. They open up themselves to get judged by God. Why? Because God, God God loves you so much, right? That He doesn't want you to experience anything such as a curse or for you to live substandard life or to you for you to live below what he has ordained and designed you to become right so the first curse that was used in the bible was used against the devil and it was on the premise that the devil deceived humans to forfeit their inheritance in god the devil did this so that they can yield the authority of the earth to him or the yield the rulership of the earth to him he deceived them and god had to chase them out of the garden the other thing that God uh, placed a curse upon in this um, in, in this text was the ground. The Bible says in verse 17 to 19, the Lord said, the, and then to Adam, God said, because you have listened attentively to the voice of your wife, and you have hidden fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. The ground is now cursed because of you. The ground is now under a curse. What is the curse that is on the ground? Listen to what the curse on the ground is. It says, in sorrow and toil, you, Adam, shall eat the fruit of the ground. So the fruit that's coming from the ground now is no longer fruit that is produced uh, without toil. So the ground now is now is no longer able to produce luxuriously as it should be. So... All the days of your life, God was saying, saying to Adam, this ground is cursed for your sake. The ground will not produce for you as much as it should, or it will not produce for you as bountifully as it should, right? Uh, because you're going to have to toil for it. Now, even if you look at the world today, and we see the abundance that we see in the world, you can imagine how the abundance will have been if the earth was not under a curse. So, you see today, you see things like drought. Uh, or farming, it would never have happened if this thing was not there. All right. So, but verse uh, 19, 18 says, Both thorns and tissues it shall grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you eat bread, until you turn to the ground. For from it you were taken, and for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So, God said to Adam, listen, the ground is cursed for your sake. So, the reason why I'm focusing on this is because these two words, the, the, the two mention of the word curse in this text refers to the cost base that the devil got for deceiving humans to forfeit their inheritance in God and be chased out of the garden. The second one was on the ground so that the, the man now begins to toil, you know, to get things from the ground. Things become more difficult. So you could, you could infer two things from this curse the first mention of curses in the bible and the context in which it was described you could infer two things number one a thing that is cursed becomes debased in form a thing that is cursed becomes debased in form a thing that is cursed is not as productive as it is designed to be 
All right. Those are the two things we see uh, from, from that. Now, notice something here in this uh, chapter 3 of Genesis. That God is the one who placed the curse upon the serpent. is the one who placed the curse upon the ground. All right? So, when we talk about curses in the context of the Bible, God is the only one who has the power and the ability to place a curse on someone. From that context, God is the only one who, say, who can place a curse for someone. All right? Okay? Now, but God did something. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27, God made us in his own image. So, because God made us in his own image and after our own likeness, we inherit the ability to do what? To either bless or to enact either cause. Because God made us in his own image, after his own likeness, we inherit the ability to do what? To curse or to bless. Now, that then opens us up to another challenge, right? So, because you are like God, because you are like God, what happened? You can bless or you can curse. Now, let me show you what Adam did that I think was so profound. Now, remember that Adam in Genesis chapter 2, verse 20, Genesis chapter 2, verse 20, Adam was the one that named all the animals. So, when God brought all the animals to Adam, Adam would say, this one is a chimpanzee, this one is a um, gorilla, and so it is. God never contended what Adam named the animals. So, Adam had the power of God to name things based on what he wanted. That was a demonstration of the power that God has given to him because he was made in the image and likeness of God. So, humans have the ability to name things, to name things into their lives, right? But these things that are named will be based on the provision that God has already given. I hope you understand that. So, God will have given a provision that you name things based on what God has made a provision for. So, for example, if you don't have money today, you can begin to call money to yourself because God has made that provision available. Now, as you call money to yourself, what you are doing there is you are saturating the atmosphere of your life with the with what you want. Because you have that power. Okay. So now, if you go with me back to that book of Genesis chapter 3, something then happened. After God has cursed the devil, God has cursed the ground, God has told the woman that the woman would give birth also in, in pain. Then what happened was, after God has done that, God says something in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 that says, the seed of the woman will bruise the head of Satan. The seed of the woman will bruise the head of Satan. God said that. God said to, to the devil, look, because you have done this, you are cursed above all the cattle, you shall, you, upon your belly you shall, you shall crawl going forward, and I will put an enmity between your seed and, his, and the seed of the woman, and the seed of the woman will bruise, will bruise your, the head of, of the devil, and you, 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 um, you will bite his heel, all right? So essentially, God says something there that says, the, the woman will produce a seed in the future that will crush the head of Satan. Now, that was grace at work. In the middle of the calamity that has just befallen the earth, God says a word that shows the, his intention to reverse the curse. His intention to what? To reverse the curse that, not, not, not the one that was placed on the devil, the one that was placed on the ground, or the one that was placed on Adam's race, as it were, in terms of the toiling and the suffering and the pain and all that. God had an intention to change that, to reverse the curse. And it's going to come to the seed of the woman. I hope you're following my, my thought process. Okay, so now, on the back of that, Adam did something that I find quite profound. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 20, the Bible says, the man named his wife Eve. The man, Adam, named his wife Eve, which, is, which means what? Life giver. Because she was the mother of all the living. Question, at this point in time, has Eve given birth to any child? No. 
But he, Adam tapped into the realm, realm of God. Adam tapped into the realm of what he already did in Genesis chapter 2, verse 20, when he named the animals. Adam did what? Adam blessed his wife. Adam pronounced a blessing on his wife. He called her Eve. It was not God who named Eve Eve. It was Adam that named Eve Eve. And this is a profound statement. You know what it means? It means for this is for the, to the men now. To the men now. If if anybody is calling anything negative upon your wife, you have the right, you have the ability, you have the power to counsel and say, no, you, that cannot stand. I refuse it. Now, this is to the parents now. This is to the parent. If anybody speaks any words of negativity over your children, you have the authority and the right to say, no, that is not allowed. That's not allowed. I cancel the, the cause. I cancel the conversation. I cancel the, the negative talk or negative speech, negative appellation over my child. You have the right to do that. Now, here's something that God showed me. That I want to show you quickly here. God said something to me. That when the devil was there, beguiling Eve, was Adam not there? The answer is Adam was there. The Bible says that the, the woman take of the fruit when she saw that the, 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 the fruit from the tree was good to behold was good to look at and it is good to eat what did she do she took out of the, the fruit of the tree ate it and gave it to her husband who was with her go back and read your bible who was with her the woman was the adam was there with the with the devil and uh, with eve while the devil was enticing her but adam didn't say a word and god says to me if adam had said shut up get out of there we will not have had this trouble but adam did not exercise his authority Adam had the authority to say that is not allowed. But because Adam did not use that authority, the woman was able to deceive the devil was able to deceive the woman, and we know what, what we, we all know the rest of the story. So and God said to me, if you are a husband in the in the family, you are the head of the house. You are the head of the house. And therefore, if you refuse to speak, when somebody is speaking negatively over your children or speaking negatively over your wife and you refuse to speak, God says, I am not going to do anything about it because I have given you the authority. Now, let's say, for example, now, you are a single mom. The, the, the man is not there. You are the one raising up these children by yourself. And somebody brings a word of negativity over your children. You have the right, the power to say, no, you are not allowed here. God is giving you the same ability to be able to do that. By the way, in Genesis chapter 5, God called them. The Bible says God made them male and female. He made them. And he called them Adam. So you have the ability as well as a woman Single mother in the house, raising up wonderful children. When somebody wants to come against your children, you can say, no, I forbid that in the name of Jesus. Now, suppose you are in a family where the man is not pulling his weight as he should and things are coming against your children. You, as the wife, can stand in that place and say, I forbid this happening in my family. This is a spiritual principle. You can, you can stand and say, the devil, you're not allowed here. Shut up and get out of here. I hope you understand that. Okay, so we see here, therefore, a curse is... Make something to be debased. Make something not to be as productive as it should be. But the cost was not meant for humans. The cost was was pushed onto who? Onto the devil for the work he has done in messing up God's creation, in deceiving Eve. The cost was also placed on the ground so that things become much more difficult. You know, but uh, but God made a promise in Genesis three verse fifteen that there will be a redeemer. The seed of the woman that will come. That is important to understand that because the seed of the woman suggests that a woman, the woman through whom the devil deceived and caused destruction, is the same woman that is going to give birth to a child 
through whom God is going to reverse the cause. So, one thing we see here, therefore, is Adam no, had authority, but Adam did not use his authority. Before the cause, Adam named all the animals. After the cause, Adam named his wife Eve. Adam pronounced a blessing over his wife. But Adam could have used that authority to tell the devil, shut up and get out of, out of the garden. Because God already gave Adam a, recommend, a responsibility in the book of Genesis chapter 2. God said to Adam, God, till the ground. Till, God placed the man in the garden and said to him, till it and keep it. Which means cultivate it and keep it. It is Adam's responsibility to keep the garden. So when the, when the devil came into the garden to deceive Eve, it was because Adam was not what? Adam was not on guard. Adam was not paying attention. Adam was not keeping the garden. So Adam had a failure of responsibility. But God, in his mercy, in his grace, turned the situation around. God said, I am still going to resolve this matter. I'm going to bring up a seed, a second Adam, that will reverse the cause. So, the, what I'm basically trying to say is, you have not lost authority on the earth. You are the ones, because you are the seed, you are from the seed of the woman. You are the one who has authority on this earth. Psalm 105 16, God said, the heavens are the Lord's. The heavens and the heavens are the Lord's. But the earth he has given to the Son of Man. God has given the, the earth to the children of men. God has given the earth to you. That's why Jesus Christ said, God allows what you allow. And God rejects what you reject. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 18, in the CEV translation, the Bible says, I promise you, God in heaven. This, 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 this is Jesus Christ speaking. He says, I promise you, God in heaven, we allow whatever you allow on earth. But God will not allow anything you don't allow. Look at that. What are you allowing in your life? If you allow it, God allows it. If you don't allow it, God doesn't allow it. Why? Because God has given the earth to humans. The heavens belong to God. The earth he has given to the sons of men. So you can allow anything in your life and you can disallow anything in your life. How do you do that? In the place of prayer. Because in verse 19 of this text he says, I promise that when any two of you on earth agree about anything you are praying for, my father in heaven will do it. So what we see here is this. When you agree concerning anything on the earth, my father will do it. This comes to talk about the power of agreement. For things to move on this earth, there's power of agreement. In order for God to come into your life and do, my, to do great things, there has to be an agreement. In order for the devil to come into your life and do havoc, there has to be an agreement. Understand, there has to be an agreement. Without an agreement, nothing can happen. Which means... When the Bible says what you, God allows what you allow, it means when you allow something, you have agreed for that thing to happen. Without an agreement, that thing cannot happen in your life. What are you allowing? What have we allowed? What are we rejecting? What have we refused? God has placed such tremendous responsibility on, our, on us that says what you allow, I allow. What you reject, I reject. Question, what are you allowing in your life? What are you allowing in the lives of your children? What are you allowing in the lives of your family? What are you allowing in, the, in, the, in your business life? What are you allowing? Because what you allow, God allows. What you reject and refuse, God refuses for you. Why? He has placed the authority on you. Here's an amazing truth I want you to write down. God or the devil cannot operate here 
without the consent or the cooperation of humans. And that is no heresy. God or the devil cannot operate here without the cooperation of humans. This is the reason why Jesus Christ had to come as a man. He was made in the likeness of man. He was made in the likeness of man. An angel could not have come to save humans. That would mean God is contradicting his own word. His own word. God has given the authority to human. He's never taken it back. So when the, when Adam sold that right to the devil, God had to become a man to take it back. That's why Jesus Christ says, the son of man. I am the son of man. I am the son of man. For God has given, given him authority on the earth because he is the son of man. Go and read this in the Bible. The book of John says, For God has given him authority on the earth because he is the son of man. He did not say God gave him authority because he's the son of God. God gave him authority on the earth because he's the son of man. Why? Remember, he's the son of God, quite all right. No doubt about that. But why is he saying, For God has given him authority on the earth because he's the son of man? Because he's trying to make a declaration for everybody to hear, for the universe to hear, that he was on the earth as a son of man, as a seed of the woman, in fulfillment of what God said in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. So now, when, the de- when angel Gabriel came to Mary, the mother of Jesus, there has to be an agreement on the part of Mary before it could happen. In Luke chapter 1, verse 38, the Bible says, when angel came to, to, to Mary to tell her about the birth of Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit will come upon her. And we overshadow her. And as she will give back to a, a son. And that son will be called the child of God. And he's the one that will save his people from the dominion of darkness. What did, did, did Mary say? Mary said, then Mary said, behold, I am the handmaiden of the Lord. I'm, I'm a tool in the hand of God. Let it be done to me according to what you have said. I allow for this to happen to me based on what you have said. And the angel left her. Immediately she said that. Immediately she said, let it be done unto me according to your word. She became pregnant. The word became flesh. So, you see here, therefore, is this. A blessing and a curse are promoted by words. A blessing and a curse promoted by words. But both of them requires what? Require what? An agreement on the part of the person that receives them. Request an agreement. So, a blessing and a curse are issued by words. I want to write this down. Say, say, this is what I want to write and say. Both blessings and curses are spoken. A blessing is when you speak favorably concerning a situation. A curse is when you speak negatively or unfavorably about a situation. So, now that we got to this point in the message, I want to show you uh, somebody in the Bible. Who had this tremendous authority of man that God has given us, but who misused this authority, right, and brought tremendous causes upon his family? The anatomy of a curse. Let's go to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9, verse 20 to 27. The Bible is talking about a man called Noah. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of his wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so they would not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his, 
of his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him. He said, Cursed be Canaan. That's that word again, cursed. Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves. So he's talking about the uh, how the curse is going to operate now. He's saying, Canaan will be the lowest of slaves. That is what he will be to his brothers. Then in the same, uh, in the same vein, he said, Praise be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. So essentially saying, Canaan will serve Shem. God is now God, the God of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tent of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. So Canaan now is declared as a servant of Japheth. Servant, a slave of Shem. God bless the God of Shem. This territory of Japheth will be extended. But Canaan will be slaves to his brothers. And I do not understand why he did that. Now, I understand what the boy did. Uh, it's not okay. But this is his grandchildren. This is, sorry, this is his grandchild. It was placing a curse upon that child. And do you know one thing I found? When God wanted to give the... When God, God wanted to bless the Israelites, God gave the land of Canaan, the land belonging to Canaan, he gave to Shem. He gave to Shem. You know, Shem is what? Shem is a grand grandfather or great-grandfather of Abraham. So Abraham is from the descent. Abraham is a descendant of Shem. Shem, uh, Abraham is the father of the Israelites, right? He's a you know, great-grandfather of, the, of, of Israel. Great-grandfather of Israel. All right, so Abraham is a great-grandfather of Israel. God gave the land of Israel. It's all the land of Canaan to the Israelites. God could not even overturn what Noah did, what Noah said, because God already given the authority to man. Noah pronounced a curse upon Canaan, and one of the ways in which it plays out in the future of that Canaan was the fact that God Himself gave the land of Canaan to the children of Israel in fulfillment of these things that have been said. Somebody might be here and I say, ah, are you saying God can overturn it? Stay with me. Stay with me for a while. I'm going to show you what has happened. Right? Again, we're talking about, I'm giving you the anatomy, the history of how the, how the causes operate. Here, a father or a grandfather placed a cause upon his own grandchild and the, the cause manifested in the future. Okay. But, what does that then really mean? Why, why did Noah have such authority? Because, in Genesis chapter 9, and I can't go there now. Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. God said, God said to Noah, the same thing he said to Adam. God said, be fruitful, multiply. And God said, increase in numbers and fill the earth. The fear and the dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and all on the birds in the sky and all on every creature that moves on the ground and all the fish in the sea. All right? They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. All right, so God essentially gave dominion of the earth to Noah. So Noah expressed his dominion through words. So a cause can be, make itself manifest when the person placing the cause is a person who is in authority, right? For example, in a parent children relationship. Now, that then takes us to the concept of generational cause. All right, let me see how many minutes I've got. Okay, I've got like 15 minutes. Let's talk about the generational cause now. Now, remember, the question is, can a believer be cursed? Can a believer experience a curse? 
what is it thing with generational cause? I've told you now the anatomy. I've told you the anatomy of a cause around the fact that God is the one who can place a cause. God is the one who is authorized to do that. Nobody else is authorized to do that except somebody, somebody that has been placed in that authority to do it. And that person has been placed in the authority to do it by God himself. All right. So we see Noah. Now he was given dominion over the earth and he misused it. He misused it. God placed a cause on the devil. Right? Not on humans. God placed a curse on the devil. God placed a curse on the ground. Right? Okay. And God, in the middle of all that judgment, he gave a word, a word that suggests the grace of God is going to come, in the spirit of Duma is going to come in the form of Jesus Christ to resolve, to reverse the curse. Please don't, that word I've just said now, the same I've just made now, reversing the curse. I'm going to come back to it towards the end of this service. So please don't forget about it. The, the Bible says the seed of the woman will bruise the head of Satan. That is the seed of the woman. Somebody who is going to come that a woman will give birth to we reverse the cause. We reverse the cause. And Adam tapped into that statement of God and named his wife Eve. The first thing he said that Adam did was to begin to pronounce a blessing over the wife. And I said, men could take you from that. Bless your wife, don't curse her. No matter what your wife is doing, don't go about and say, I'm pronouncing a curse upon your own wife. If you do that, you're pronouncing a curse upon your own self. No matter what your child has done, Fathers, mothers, pronounce the blessing upon them. Don't be like Noah, who just opened his mouth and just start yarning nonsense over, over Canaan. Because God couldn't overturn that. Now, but let me not talk to you about generational cause. When God gave the law to Moses, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, these same words, was, these same words were repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9. This is what God said. God said, He's talking about idol worship. The reason why you should not worship an idol. Remember, Goliath, uh, Goliath tried to place a curse upon David by the name of what? An idol. Okay. Now, when you worship an idol, the Bible says in the book of Jonah, those that observe lying vanities, talking about idol, they, they forsake the mercies of God. They walk away from the mercy of God because they are observing. To observe lying vanities means you are paying attention to lying vanities. You are, you are paying attention to an idol. You are listening to an idol. You are letting the idol control your thoughts, your thinking, your actions. You, you forsake the mercies of God. All right? He said here, you shall not worship an idol or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, demanding what is rightfully and uniquely mine. Visiting, avenging the iniquity, sin, or gift of the fathers on the children. That is calling the children to account for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. This scripture is where the thought around generational cause comes from. That if a, if a father has made a mistake and has done something wrong, then, then the, the, the repercussion of that will come upon the child. Regardless of whether the child has done anything to deserve the curse. Remember, like a sparrow that flies, a cause that is undeserving cannot alight. That's what we read in the book of Proverbs. A cause that is undeserving cannot alight. It's not possible for that cause to work, right? But here, God himself said, I will visit the, 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 the sins of the fathers on the children unto the fourth generation. So people have taken this and said, oh, you see now, the reason why this is happening in somebody's life is because generational causes are operational. Now, let me show you something that God then said. This is the book of Deuteronomy and book of Exodus. But if you go with me to the book of Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 1 to 4, the Bible says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, What do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers eat sour grapes. They sin, but the children's teeth are set on edge. 
As I live, says the Lord, you are certainly not going to use this proverb as an excuse in Israel anymore. Behold, pay close attention. All souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins with that period. God says, essentially, you have taken you have taken what I said. You have taken what I said before, right? About visiting the sins of the fathers on the on, 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 on the children of the fourth generation. You have taken a million an excuse and say, where well, the reason why this is going on in my life is because um, of my father's sin. God says that statement will no longer be said in Israel. You will no longer be 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 pointing to your what happened to your fathers, what your father did, as the reason why your life is messed up. You will, you will stop saying that. Because this statement, as sure as I live, will no longer be said in the in the land of Israel. That's what God said. It's in the Bible. So this proverb is generally interpreted to me that the subsequent generations suffer for the sins of their ancestors. They were using this well-known proverb as an excuse to blame their forefathers for their suffering. And their misfortune instead of them acknowledging their own guilt and taking personal responsibility for their own lives. God said, You will no longer be pointing to your fathers and say it's because my father did it, that's why my life is messed up. God said, No, God said, No longer will you know will the children suffer for their parents' challenges, no longer will generation generational cause be allowed to pass on to the children. Everyone will stand by, by himself before God. I hope you understand that. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, the person who sins is the one that will die. The son will not bear. The son will not bear the punishment for the sin of the father. Nor will the father bear the punishment for the sin of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be on himself. And the wickedness of the wicked shall be on himself. So God essentially is, God by this sentence is totally debunks the whole concept of generational cause. He said, it may have been said in the book of Deuteronomy and Exodus. But I'm saying, going forward, the book of Ezekiel said, going forward, you you not say this anymore. You will take responsibility for your own life. Okay. All right. Let me see how many minutes I've got. Fantastic. I've got 10 minutes. Now, in the new covenant, now let's see how this plays out in the new covenant. Because the question I want to ask, answer is, I've answered the question on generational cause. That God himself said, you shall no longer say, the reason why my life is messed up is because of the sins of my father. God himself said that. So, generational cause is the bone from there. The question now is, can a believer be under a curse? Galatians 3, 13 to 14 says, Christ purchased our freedom and redeemed us from the curse of the law. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law and its condemnation by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who hangs or crucified on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might also come to the Gentiles so that we will all receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. God says now, Christ redeemed us, redeemed. To redeem means to buy back, to buy away from. Christ redeemed us, buy us away from the curse. God, Christ bought us away from the curse. Christ bought us away from the curse. <laughs> you know the word redeem or redemption that is used here is akin to when you go to the market and you want to go and buy a goat. Or you buy uh, a cow. You take, you go and pay money, and you take the cow away from the market. The word redeem here is ezagorazo or agorazo, which means buy away from the market. God has purchased us 
from the market stall of the devil, the market stall of dominion of the devil, the market stall of the world system, the market stall of religion. God has purchased us. He has redeemed us by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been bought away from that market stall. The, the, what is needed to purchase us, to buy us out of that market has been paid for forever by the blood of Jesus Christ. So therefore, as a child of God, you are not allowed to have generational costs or any form of cost operating in your life based on the fact that the price has been paid. So, as a child of God, you have been redeemed from the cost of the law and its condemnation. As a child of God, you have the blessing of God that God promised to Abraham. It's now yours. What is this blessing? In Genesis 12, Genesis 12, verse 1 to 3, Genesis 12, 1 to 3, the Bible says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. What is that saying? The Bible said the blessing that God promised to Abraham is now now yours. What can you say? What can you say about yourself now? You can say, I am great. I am blessed. My name is great. I'm going to be a blessing to others. God blesses those who bless me. God curses those who curse me. Other people are going to be blessed through my life. You can say that because Christ died. Every time you want to doubt whether this should operate in your life, whether you should operate in the blessing, just remember, did Christ pay the price on the cross? If he did, then the blessing is yours, not the cost. The cost has been taken care of forever. So you see here, therefore, that only blessings are allowed in your life, not curses. Now, even if somebody were to throw a curse at you, it will not work. Why? Because you are now called unto a blessing. First Peter chapter 3 verse 9. First Peter 3 9 says, Never return evil for evil or insult for insult, scolding, tongue lashing, berating, but on the contrary, blessing, praying for their welfare, happiness and protection, and truly pitying and loving them. Why? For know that, for know that to this you have been called. What is this referring to? That you may yourself inherit a blessing from God. That you may obtain a blessing as heirs or heresies, bringing welfare and happiness and protection. The Bible essentially says, what God has called you unto is a blessing. The blessing manifests itself in welfare, in happiness, in protection. The blessing manifests itself in prosperity, in joy, and in protection. The blessing is meant to operate in your life. Legally, you are meant to operate in the blessing. Why? Because the blessing of Abraham is yours. That blessing is yours. You are not begging God. You are a child of God as much as anybody else. That blessing is meant to operate in your life. No cost. No cost is allowed to function in your life. This is the provision of God for you. To inherit a blessing. The blessing manifests itself in welfare, in protection, in happiness. Or in in prosperity, in protection, and in, 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 in joy. Those are the three elements of what the blessing will produce in your life. You are protected, you are preserved, you know, you are prosperous. You have joy living in your life. And you are made to walk in this blessing and disperse this blessing to everywhere that you go. Say with me, say this with me. Say, I am blessed by the best to be the best in all that I do. Hallelujah. Say with me, I'm a dispenser of God's blessings everywhere that I go. In the name of Jesus, say with me, I am blessed and highly favored. Hallelujah. Praise God forevermore. Hallelujah. Now, how is it possible that you can lay claim to this blessing? Because Christ paid the price. 
that is needed for this. And he redeemed you. He bought you back from the market. As I begin to round up, I know there are questions going in your mind, which I will address next week. Next week, I'm going to be talking about how to overcome near success syndrome. Because, because I was in a meeting with a group, of fr- a group of friends, and they were talking about the generational cause. And I, I don't know how to begin to explain, but I, but I can understand if you are here today, the things that happened to your father seem to be happening in your own life, or seem to be, want to repeat itself in your own life. Next week, I'm going to be addressing how that is possible, but how that is not God. How that is through the thinking process. I will talk about talk about that. So please, this is the foundation. Next week, I'm going to talk about how you can overcome it. All right. So John chapter 14, verse 16 to 17 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Savior. The Holy Spirit of truth will be to you a friend, just like me. And he will never leave you. The world won't receive him because they cannot see him or know him. But you know him intimately because he remains with you and will live inside of you. So, this is where we begin to round up. I want to see, 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 the Bible says, the Holy Spirit will live on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit will remain in you. But the question here is, who is the Holy Spirit? Jesus Christ himself said, I will ask the Father. He will give you another Savior. So, the Holy Spirit is what? Another Savior. And the Holy Spirit is also what? The Spirit of truth. (laughs) So truth is what the Holy Spirit dispenses in you. Like the truth here that says, generational cause is not allowed legally to operate in your life. And I use the word legally because if you open up yourself to the devil, the devil will operate in your life. But it's not legal. It is because you yielded yourself to him. Just like Adam Adam and Eve yielded themselves to him and he came into their, their lives through deception. The devil will try to operate in your life if you don't know the truth. This guy says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you don't know the truth, you are not going to be set free. Even though freedom is what Christ has called you to live in. So you start having this mindset, everything is against me, everything is against me. But it's because you have believed a lie. You have to understand, no cause is allowed to operate in your life. Legally. Legally. But could a cause operate in your life? Illegally? Yes. If you open up yourself to such thought process, which I will cover next week. So, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. But do you know the meaning of the Holy Spirit in the Greek? The Greek word used for the Holy Spirit is the word parakletos. Now, parakletos means the one that is called alongside to help. It's like defense attorney or a counselor, a comforter, an advocate. But I want to show you something that I found. I have it on the screen here. The Aramaic, the Aramaic word which is the language that Jesus Christ spoke when he came on the earth. The Aramaic word used for the Holy Spirit is the word paracleta. Paracleta. It's taken from the root of two words. Para, to hand or finish, or to bring something to the end, right? To, to bring to hand or finish or to save. That's what para means. And lita means the cause. So when you look at the Holy Spirit as paracleta, you know what it means? It means the Holy Spirit comes to end the work of the cause of sin in our lives and to save us from the very effect of sin. So paracleta means a redeemer who hands a cause. Just like I said, I will give you the Holy Spirit. I will pray the Father, I will give you another Savior, the Holy Spirit of truth, who will remain in you and live inside of you. So here is a question. Do you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you right now? Do you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you right now? Have you ever given your life to Jesus? 
then if you have made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, if you have given your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. That Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth, not the Spirit of Deception. The Spirit of Truth, what does it do? His job is to do what? Is to end the curse. Remember what I said, Genesis 3, verse 15, God said, I will send what? The seed of the woman will bruise the head of Satan. That is, there will be a redeemer that will be born of a woman that will end the curse. Christ is the redeemer who ended the curse at Calvary's hill. And that's why Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from every curse of the law. So in Christ, a curse is not allowed to operate in your life. God, when Christ was going, he knew we are going to get into this confusion. Oh, there's no Jesus Christ. Also, what am I going to do? He said, I will give you another Savior called the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit, his name is Paracleta. And Paracleta means the Redeemer who hands the curse. So now, living on the inside of you, you have the Redeemer who has put an end to the work of the curse, to whatever curse may be in this world. He has come, he has, he has put an end to it at Calvary's Hill. And the day you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the day you believed in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the curse ended in your life. And its effect is not meant to be operating in your life. But if its effect operates in your life, why is that? How is that possible? Next week, I'm going to be showing you how to overcome near success syndrome because based on what we have believed, if we have not believed right, based on our wrong belief system and what we have seen in our, with our eyes, based on the cultural nuances of how we grow up, we can believe a lie and experience the effect of the lie in our physiology, but it is, doesn't mean it is true. It doesn't mean it is right. It doesn't mean it is legal because Christ has redeemed us from every cause. Hallelujah. I hope this has been a blessing to you. The anatomy of a curse explains to you how a curse comes. The, imp- the, 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 the impact of a curse is to debase a thing and not to make it as productive as it should be. God is the only one who is authorized to place a curse. But God has now made us like himself. right? So therefore now we can dispense a blessing or a curse from our own lips. Because God blessed by speaking. God pronounced a curse by speaking. We can also bless by speaking. We can all also curse by speaking. Why? Because we're made in the image and likeness of God. Now, if an idol, a God, a small g, God, now tries to place a curse upon your life, that small g, God, has no basis to curse you, has no right to curse you, has no ability and authority to curse you. But if the, the, the small g can make you to believe that that thing has a pa- the power over your life. Then you expose yourself to that thing and then you, can't, you start seeing the effect of the curse in your life. But it is not legal, it is illegal. Now, how do you overcome that? The moment you know the truth, the truth you know will make it, set you free. Once you know the truth, you can say, no, I refuse that. You're not, you're, not, you're not correct. You're a liar. Get out of here. You can do that. You can do that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God forevermore. People of God, I ran out of time. I ran out of time. But I want you to know, no cause is allowed to operate in your life. The power of life and death, God says, is in the tongue. What are you saying about your family? What are you saying about your life? What are you saying about your children? What are you saying about your business? What you say, Jesus Christ said, is what you are going to have. So, as we live here, let nobody who doing you that generational cause or the cause of the sin of your father is operating in your life. No, it cannot. But it can if you allow the lie and you begin to operate in the lie, 
then you are opening up yourself to the devil. Romans chapter 6, as I round up, Romans chapter 6, verse 16 says, Do you not know that if you continually surrender yourself to anyone to do his will, you are the slaves of him whom you obey? So when you surrender yourself to to do anyone's will, when somebody says to you, this is how they do it in our family, when you, you have to go and bow down to somebody, and you're a child of God, and you go and bow down, you have surrendered yourself to them. And when, what do I say? You are going to be slaves of them because you have surrendered yourself. But it is not legal. It is legal because in Christ, the cost has been broken. I hope that has been a blessing to you. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray for your children. I pray, Almighty God, that this message will help somebody to know that a cost is not legally allowed to operate in their lives. If there's someone here who has believed the lie, who has believed the, the, the lie perpetrated by cultural nuances, Perpetrated by religious saboteurs. Lord, today in the name of Jesus Christ, I, I agree with them. Hold their hands in the realm of the Spirit. And I say, Lord, the one you set free is free. I declare them free from the dominion of darkness. I declare them free from the shackle of the enemy. I declare them free, Almighty God, from the lies and pernicious deception of the evil one. In the name of Jesus Christ, I declare over you that God has set you free. Stand firm now in that freedom. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are blessed and highly favored. Now remember, I'm going to see you next week. Okay, next week I'm going to be talking about how to overcome near success syndrome. You don't want to miss that message. God bless you, and I'll speak to you another time.